Well, as I said, today's a special day. I'm not going to say a whole lot because I know they may say some talk about the beginnings, but uh, when when uh, my family and I walked in the door 23 years ago, Allie Mellon was the youth director and also our missions coordinator. And uh, three years later, uh, they couldn't find anybody else, so they asked me to be the pastor. And, and so <clears throat> I was her boss for a minute. Um, but serious business was uh, very effective uh, with our young people and very effective at that time. It's, things have changed, and it's kind of hard now, but at that time, very effective in making us a, a mission-minded church. We were so mission-minded because of Allie's work. When we go to Mexico, we go all, all Jamaica, all kind of places, that I had to put a sign out at the parking lot, you are now entering the mission field, because it was easy to think that the only place you could do missions was outside the United States, because Allie had us there. Uh, and it was good, very good, still is. And so um, somewhere along the way, um, Allie went behind my back. She actually had left us and had gone to work for a, a missions organization in Gainesville, Georgia, called Adventures in Missions. And somewhere along the way, she went behind my back and talked to Adam and Aaron about leaving and going down there. And they did it. <laughs> They left, and Adam and Aaron, for a couple of years, were were recruiting and training college-age kids and then leading them on, what, month-long mission trips, usually, Jamaica, Kosovo, Kenya, uh, uh, several places. But anyway, they did that for several years through Adventures in Missions, and Allie was uh, employed at that time. And then and then in 2008, Allie said, I think I'm going to go to Cambodia. I'm going, okay, well, I don't know about that. But, you know, oh, me of little faith, here she is all these years later. So because of that, it was, we thought it was a good idea for Adam. We're going to do an interview model today. Adam would interview Allie because of their connection and their time together uh, in the mission field and, and mission work. And uh, so they're going to lead us through what she's doing and uh, what her team is doing in Cambodia. Uh, so anyway, come Allie Mellon, let's welcome. Yeah, that's your one. Wyatt called this the Christian version of Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> he's, always, he's always got a joke. So over the years, people have remarked to Aaron and I about our heart for missions and outreach. And I'm sitting beside the lady who imparted that into us. So before I get emotional, thank you. And my kids will benefit from your leadership. So, so this is Allie Mellon. I know a lot of y'all may not have never met her. I just kind of give a brief intro of what she means to me and to my wife and my family. Um, but tell us a little bit. Where are you from, Allie, originally? Um, I am from Clinton, Mississippi. Born and raised, but came to, as soon as I graduated college, came to Nashville. And so Nashville was home for 20 years before I went to Cambodia. And Erin was in her youth group. That's one of the ways she, um, they, they connected. Um, here's a toughie. 1999, you took a trip to Kenya, led a bunch of rascals there. Who would you say, in your own opinion, 
was the kindest and most influential male on that team. The only male on that team was Adam Granger. <laughs> he went with a whole bunch of women and girls. <laughs> that was a trip where I, God really imparted the desire for missions. Um, fun trip. How many kids do you have? Um, I have five, and I think they're all all gone. Mingvolt, wave, wave at oh, some, Ming, Ming some, there. hello. Uh, there, one of them is leaning against the wall back there, and I think the others are, are all out playing. Um, also, I, I want you guys to meet Mingvolt. She's she's back there in the back. She um, travels with me to help take care of my kids while I work, and she is uh, absolutely amazing. So um, say hey to her. After church. Right now, yeah. Yeah, hello, Ming. <laughs> <laughs> and after church. Ming's never been in here when I've spoken before, so that's funny. That's great. So, your ministry is called Hard Places Ministry. Tell us how that began. What what, what started the Hard Places? Um, well, first of all, I, did, I never named the organization the Hard Places Community. We, we prayed and asked the Lord for a name that would... Um, yeah, some kind of clever name, and he didn't give us one, so we just called it the Hard Places Community. Um, it was born not out of a, a desire for me to to have my own organization. I never wanted to to be the boss. I never wanted to be the one in charge. Um, but the you want me to tell like how it was born? Sure, let's let's hear. It. So, like how Adam said, um, Adam and Aaron and I were working for Adventures and Missions. And the department that I worked for um, was were 18 to 24-year-olds. And these kids were coming back from some of the hardest places in the world. Um, they, we were sending them to the Amazon jungle where they would come back with these squirrely worms. under. They were crawling under their skin and had to bathe in rivers where it was roped off so the uh, netted off so the piranhas didn't get them. They were coming back from places in Europe where people didn't know that God was a, a who. They said they would say, what is Jesus? And so they were coming back from some really, really hard places. But when these, these kids would arrive um, for debrief after their trip, they would, would just look at us and say, you know, what else you got? What else you got? What's next? And they were so hungry for the nations they were so hungry to be completely used of god to be poured out on the nations to be spent um and i would just have to look at them and say well you know you can go to the amazon jungle again or you can go to this short-term trip again and it wasn't enough so i began to approach our our big boss about the hard places and i just said to him hey can we can we go to the hard places and he said yes if you'll set it up so I began the process of setting up nine different countries, and they were all countries that were extremely war-torn or in the middle of a war. Um, we handpicked alumni to go on these trips. They had to have gone on a trip with us before, so we handpicked alumni to go on these trips, and in September of that year, we had nine, we had, let's say we had 18 kids already signed up, and we were doing really well because it was about nine months out before we would launch our first trip to the hard places. We didn't put it on a website. We didn't want a website. We didn't want any recognition. We wanted to go under the radar and cross borders into places where Christians were not welcome, into places, the dark places of the sex trade, into places where um, there were was not a Christian presence. And so things were going really well. We were super excited about it. And I was at a, a, 
what what we did was we were always always doing training camps. We'd do a training camp for a week, then we'd send kids out, and then we'd debrief, have about five days off, and do it all over again. And so I was, it was just a normal morning at training camp, and I, I was stumbling out of the tent and walking up and saying, you know, good morning, welcome to Georgia. And my, my co-leader came to me and said, Allie, you need to jump in the car real quick. We're going, something's happened. You need to, you need to come with me. And I, I looked at him and said, what? You know, our boss's house is right down the road. We can just walk. He's like, get in the car. And, and I got in the car and we, um, we drove, drove down the road and walked into our boss's house. And he was, he was sitting at a table just like this, uh, just white as a sheet. And, um, hopefully the only, only time this has ever happened. Um, we had a kid who was killed on the mission field in South Africa. And he had gotten a call just a little bit before, um, he called me to come over. And what had happened was we had a team staying at an old abandoned Bible college and the part of the fence was down. And so we had, a, we had a guard patrolling it all night long. But, um, where, where the part of the fence was down, this, this kid on the team, his name was Eddie Rector. He had been up, uh, Skyping with his girlfriend it wasn't a rebellious kid or anything. He just lost track of time. And so the dorms locked automatically at 11 o'clock. And so he couldn't go back in his door. He was locked out of his dorm. So he was like, I'll just crash on the couch tonight in the computer room. And people came into the computer room that night to steal the computers and they killed him. And his, um, his roommate was his best friend who had come on the trip with him. And, it, and he's the one who found him that morning. And so we had to do a lot of really painful, um, painful things surrounding that entire murder. And my boss was about to have to drive across the country, knock on a door, and tell these parents their child was never coming home. And so when everything, um, when the smoke cleared from that, he looked at me and he said, Allie, you can go to the hard places, but you can't go under this umbrella. You can't go here. And he said, I'll mentor you and, and help you with that, but, but we're not going to do it at Adventures and Missions. And, um, so he just kind of pushed me, pushed me out to, to start it on my own. Thank you. Why Cambodia? Um, Cambodia was one of the places on our radar. Uh, we, we wanted to go. We, the, the group, the eight of us who started, um, kind of left adventures and missions together and, and began this work. Um, the, the sex trade, particularly the child sex trade was something that was really on our hearts. And as well as the, the plight of Muslim women, um, inner city America, so many different places, but it was one that stood out. And so like Pastor Larry said, in 2008, I just went to do a setup trip in, in Cambodia to see if all of the things I had been researching and learning about were true. Because, you know, sometimes you can, you can read and you can study and all of that, and then it's just drama, right? So I wanted to go on the ground to see if, if what I was hearing was true. But how Cambodia very, very first began, uh, very first got on my radar was... Um, from the remote control. So this was, I was sitting there late at night. It was, it was like 11 o'clock. I was bored. I was flipping through the channels. And some of you will remember back in the days when you would flip through the channels and the static would go, and all you could find was infomercials. 
well, now they have the fancy TVs with all the channels. I don't know how to work my mom's TV. Um, now you can find something at any time, right? But back in the day, you could just find nothing. So at 11 o'clock, I was pretty desperate to watch something other than static. And this the show popped up on the Lifetime channel, and it was called Human Trafficking. And I had, at the time, about 16 years ago... Uh, trafficking was not a term that we were familiar with, and especially not in the church. We weren't talking about that. We didn't, if we had heard about it, it was a term that, that we just wanted to push aside and not, not have to think about, right? So I saw the show, I watched this whole movie called Human Trafficking, and it was not a documentary. It was, it was real. I mean, it was Hollywood. It was not real. It was Hollywood. But as I watched it, I knew that even if this much of this is really happening, then I, I was horrified by it. And like like so many times, um, how many of you have ever gone on a mission trip and you're so passionate about being there and you're filled with compassion for the people and you're, you're blown away? Lauren and Alan, hey, you guys. Um, they, we, we're in Swaziland together and, and we love the people so hard and then you come home and life begins to happen and you go back to work and you go back to family and you go back to all the things and you don't forget about the people, but they just, you know, begin to, to, to just kind of fade a little bit. And so when I watched this movie called Human Trafficking, I cried out to the Lord and I said, Lord, please don't let me get up off of this couch and pretend that this is somebody else's issue. You know, don't let me get up from this couch and think, oh, there's somebody who's smarter than I am. There's somebody with more education than I have. There's somebody else who can do something about this problem. Because it was so easy to think that. You know, I don't have to deal with this horrible issue. Somebody else can can do that who's more qualified than I am. But I prayed and I said, Lord, don't let me, don't let me forget what I've seen um, and what I'm hearing. I don't want it to just seep into the background and me forget that it's happening. And he didn't. He continued to bring it to my mind time after time. And as I did research, what led me specifically to Cambodia was the age of the children that were being trafficked. So my heart still breaks today for the the girls in Eastern Europe. We we know that it's happening in America right now. Um, I just met a, a guy at Pastor Dwayne Higgison's church last weekend who drives a truck. And he had a 12-year-old girl come up and, and knock on the door of his, his rig and say to him, um, are you looking for some company? Do you need some company tonight? And as a believer, he opened the door and he got her in the truck and he locked the doors. And the pimp just went crazy um, because he had not paid the pimp. He didn't even know you were supposed to pay the pimp. But the pimp had been standing on the side, to the side of the truck waiting for the payment. And when uh, my friend, when he locked the door of the rig to call the police and tell them that he had a child in his rig, um, the guy on the ground started beating the doors and just, I mean, slamming the truck, just beating it and rocking it and going nuts. Um, so it happens right here in America. But what I was finding out about Cambodia was that it was happening to very, very young children. And before we went, um, before I went for the first time, I, I knew that children as young as five and six years old were being trafficked. Um, today, after being there for 13 years, the youngest girl in our program is three years old. 
who's been sold. She was sold by her own mother. And the youngest boy is four. And we have many, many four-year-old boys, so many four-year-old boys. It seems to be a prime age to be taken in our area. Um, the average age of children in our program is eight years old. And we focus it on in the we have a men's department as well, but in the kids department we focus on three to fourteen years old because at fifteen in Cambodia you're legal. You can they don't care if you're fifteen. You're not going to get help from the government. So, <coughs> excuse me. So tell me about your program. What does that look like a day to day? You know, you, you, you know, how do you how do you handle that? What does the day to day look like for okay. you in your program? Um. That's a good question because it's kind of, it's vague, right? We, we work in anti-trafficking. We help bring kids out of the sex trade, but, um, but that seems like a pretty broad. A, yeah. Like yeah. what is that? Um, the rate, the way we do it is through relationship. Less than 1% of the children who were sold today in Cambodia are sold into an actual brothel. Less than 1%. Um, what happens is they are sold on the streets for the one-off encounter for one hour, one night, one weekend. And so in order to reach these children, you have to be on the streets where the kids are. Uh, we started off spending more time in the building um, until we realized that, hey, if we're really going to reach the kids, we don't want to ask a few kids to come into the building. We want to reach a lot of kids by going out. And so today we have 66 kids clubs a week. And each one of these kids clubs or opportunities, we, we just do them right on the street, right on the dirt of the slums, on the, the city sidewalk. We go to where the children are the most vulnerable and we plan a kids club there. And each one of those kids clubs are an opportunity for children to come to us and to build a, a healthy relationship with an adult for the first time in their whole lives. So... They come and we do like a big VBS. We do crafts. We do games. Um, all, all the stuff. We sing songs. Um, we just love them. We love them where they're at and they build relationship with us. And it's through that relationship that they disclose their abuse. Um, all our staff are trained in the signs and symptoms of abuse. So when they recognize it, it goes on our board, and we begin investigating. We have an investigation team that works until midnight, five days a week, um, following pedophiles around the city, tracking them, finding out where they're taking children, what they're doing. And the investigative team works with the military police, anti-trafficking to police, to stop the bad guy, get the kid out, and then we be- begin the long-term process of restoration and counseling with the child. In the middle of that, if the case goes to court, if there is a trial, um, which in, in most cases a pedophile just pays off the government and they're, and they're scot-free. But if it goes to trial, we, we prepare that child for court um, because it's very scary for them to have to go and testify. And we take them hand by hand and walk them through the whole court process. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then this may sound like a random question, but what is your degree in? Um, my degree is in counseling. So after I, I went to Mississippi State and majored in special education and then got my master's from Vanderbilt in counseling. So you, you got a Vanderbilt master's person here, so she ain't dumb. Right. <laughs> but it's amazing that God mm. took you and used that that gift, right? How many people get yes. a degree and never use it yet? You're well, using it. Yes, I, I got a degree and then minute. wrote songs wrote for songs. 20 years and made made money writing songs. So right. it doesn't really have <laughs> much to do with one and the other. But the Lord used it as a vehicle mm-hmm. to get me where I am today. Yeah, and you're using that and 
using mm-hmm. that training and skills to train other people yes. and doing that as well as applying it in your day-to-day. Mm-hmm. So that's cool that it's always fun to see God, you know, put some in your heart mm-hmm. and then not even let you use it for 20 years. And then now it's your whole life. Yes. That's cool. Um, this may be a heavy question, or you may have already answered. I don't know. But what would you say would be the greatest sorrow that you have ever seen? Um, there, there's been so many over the years, but there's so much more hope than sorrow. Um, when I think about the work that we do, I feel, I feel hope. I feel joy. I don't feel, um, the sadness, uh, though every time there's a new situation, it still hits me, you know, right here. Um, I think the, I think the greatest sorrow, the, the hardest I've ever grieved in Cambodia, well, just period, um, on the mission field was of uh, a little girl named Mang. She came to our kids club and she was five years old and she, um, she would come into kids club and she couldn't walk properly because of her abuse and she couldn't sit because of her abuse. She, um, every single night, every single night it was happening. Her grandmother was selling her. And so we had this little cutout places on the wall, like um, a little ledge and I would take her crafts and let her stand on the wall and lean up against the wall to do the crafts because she wanted to do what everybody else did. Um, but watching her come in uh, day after day to kids club, um, one of the hardest things that we do is we work with the children as they're sold, not after they're sold. So they're not taken, they're not plucked from this darkness and given to us and then we just do the restoration. We have to walk with them through the long process of, of getting out of the abuse, um, because the, the government requires a whole, whole bunch of evidence, um, that American government would never require, um, ridiculous amount of paperwork and all the things we have to do in order for the abuse to stop. So we walk with those children through their abuse. And I remember going back to my house one night and just losing it just for hours and hours, um, sobbing, on behalf of this little girl. It took us nine months to get her out. Nine months. Um, that's nine months. That's so many encounters. So many, so much heartbreak. Um, but can I contrast that with something? Well, I was, was going to say the, my next question is what's your greatest victory? So let's yeah, talk about greatest, your hope greatest victory. victory or the greatest joy is Either something one. that, um, that we, we could probably hear if we went and tracked down some of the, the kids out there. And that is if you, if you walk into one of our kids clubs, if you walk into any of our spaces and you just close your eyes, um, the the sound that you hear, what you hear ringing out is laughter. You hear kids, um, you know, doing doing kid stuff, yeah. wrestling each other and pushing each other down the stairs and laughing and throwing balls and um, all the things that kids do. That's what you hear. And to me, the greatest the greatest joy in our work, um, the greatest victory is that we give children right in the middle of their darkness, a chance to be a child, um, to experience the joy that comes with freedom. Um, and it's not always, they're not always free yet mm-hmm. physically, but, uh, it's, it's such a joy to hear the children laugh. It's such a joy to hear them, um, sing and sc- they were, they were in a tuk-tuk randomly on the way home one day and they're all singing, I belong to God at the top of their lungs. They're just singing and, and rejoicing in that. So yeah, e- every day feels like a victory Amen. getting to hear them. And I enjoy as a dad of four kids, I enjoy hearing kids be kids, 
but even more so in that arena because they haven't been able to beat kids, and now they are, and that's a huge victory in and of itself. Uh, absolutely. That's great. So I've heard rumblings about Greece. Mm. What's Tell me about Greece and where you're where your heart is there. Yes, um, we planted a, a work in Greece and then the pandemic happened. <laughs> and so I was going back and forth to Greece from, from Cambodia. My, my two oldest daughters have been. And um, we went to Greece to address the issue of trafficking within the refugee camps. So we heard that little bitty kids, and we, we read different reports, that little bitty kids were being sold in these refugee camps um, in the same way that it happens in Cambodia. And we also learned that that many women on their journey to get to Greece uh, were being trafficked. And so we went there to check it out. I first went in 2018, and we learned that, oh, man, Greece is, um, there, there are so many, so many different things going on. But our, our main heart there is working with refugees and if any of you followed uh, followed the news and the, the influx of refugees that wound up in that country in 2015, it was just this huge number. And people are fleeing war-torn countries, countries where they're being persecuted, countries where they have no freedom or rights. And they, they run across all of these countries and wind up on the shores of Turkey. And then when they get to Turkey, their goal is to get to Europe and so from Turkey, um, since 2016, when they made a law that they couldn't cross legally, the people have been coming to the shores of Greece, Greece, which if you stand on the, the island, the furthest islands in Greece, you can see Turkey right across the water. And the what's happening is they're having to come over. They're being smuggled over. And so they they pile people three, four times more than are allowed in these rubber life rafts. They pile the people in, and then in the dead of night, they they go in a speedboat beside these rubber rafts, and they go towards Greece. But what's happening on the way, not always, but sometimes, the smugglers reach out and they, they pop those rafts. And so you've got dozens of people falling into the black water in the dead of night, and grandparents are dying, babies are dying, several hundred people have died just trying to get from the shore of Turkey to Greece. And so we found, when we went there to address the issue of trafficking, we found that the the layers of the onion are so thick uh, with trauma. And the trauma the people remember the most is the trauma that last happened to them. You know, if I punch you, you're going to remember right now. Well, maybe not if I punch you, but if Pastor Larry punches you, you're going to remember right now that it hurts, not what happened to you last week. Sure. And so the uh, the layers the layers of trauma, the abuse are buried deep under the fact that right now what they're thinking about is that black water and how scary it was at two in the morning to fall into it and have to swim with your with your too big life vest all the way to the shores of, of Greece. And so we're we're doing a lot of addressing um, being first responders to trauma, a lot of sitting people down and trying to address very, very simple needs, like washing their clothes. Um, we've been washing 30 loads of clothes a day. We wash more, but there's no more hours in the day. You know, we just one after another. People have one one pair of clothes, and then they come and bring you their one extra T-shirt or their one extra pair of socks, and we wash it and hand it back to them. 
um, we're doing things that involve that they can do with their hands because uh, some of you guys know that when you when you're doing things with your hands when you're creating when you're playing with clay when you're you're rolling um, candy. We, I like to make homemade candy with them. When you're doing all of these things, then it can take the trauma that's locked in one part of your brain and causing you to not be able to sleep and not be able to function and not be able to to be a, a functioning human being. And it unlocks that for, uh, for a few seconds. Mm-hmm. And so we do a lot of things with the hands. Um, we bought a pottery wheel. We're making pottery. Uh, we do a lot of crafts. Um, none of the people that we are ministering to want to stay in Greece, so they don't want to learn Greek. So they're learning English so that they have opportunity when they, when they get their paperwork to go into many other different countries. That's good to know. Thank you. And yeah. where, where is that going to, how, how does that look going forward? Um, well, our base is in Athens and the, um, we, we've also done a lot of works in the camps on the islands, but there are eight camps surrounding Athens. So the first stage for people is they land on the islands. They're there in refugee camps that were meant to hold 4,000 but hold 14,000, meant to hold 8,000, 18,000. It's insane conditions. Um, being at these camps, we saw people who they just take take the tarps they're given and throw it over a tree, and that's their home. No running water, human waste flowing everywhere. It's just it's really rough. And um, the first step for them is once they, they're usually there about three years, they finally get paperwork and they get moved to Athens. And so we've planted in the, in the heart of Athens ministering to them. And our next steps going forward are we've, we need a bigger, we need a bigger space because we've already outgrown two buildings and uh, we need a bigger building. But to find big space in the heart of a crowded city is difficult. Um, so that's one way you guys can pray for us that we'd be able to find space because as soon as we find space, more people, we can yeah. minister to more people. Then we outgrow that space and then we move and then we outgrow that space. So, um, yeah, well, I, w- I would love also, yes. And we need you guys to come in Cambodia. We have 60 staff who are the hands and feet. They're doing everything. They are, uh, they don't, they don't need us in Cambodia, Adam, but, but, uh, in Greece, we we need as much help as we can possibly get. So I was going to ask about that. Your team. You talk about a team. Yes. You come a brief understanding of your team and what does that look like? Yes. People in Cambodia, Greece, or okay. how does that look? Um, we have a, our, our expat team is really small because our our whole goal is to work ourselves out of a job and get out of the way so that the local people can be raised up and minister in their own language in their own culture to the people on the ground. So I have been in Cambodia for 13 years, um, but lately, because my youngest three children are Cambodian citizens and can't leave, um, except for what their visas allow. So we are in the process of them becoming American citizens, um, so we can get out of the way, and uh, most likely will not be based out of Cambodia um, as soon as they get their citizenship, because we can be based, we need to be based wherever we can can get to countries without um, being just in one location in Southeast Asia. But we have a, a small expat team. We have, let's see, there, there are eight of us, I think, living in, living in Cambodia, heading up different ministries, mainly brand-new ones that we've started. Uh, we have a restaurant in Cambodia that reaches out to young men in the male brothels. 
Um, we have uh, a young lady from Mississippi who is starting a child care for children in the, the worst of the worst slums so that these babies aren't locked in these, these little shacks and left there for 12 hours a day while their parents go to work. So we're going to be caring for those children. We're going to have pajamas, toothbrushes, everything, because they, their parents don't have, if they don't have family in the city, they don't have child care. So they just, they'll just lock them in a place and leave. Um, so all of our people in Cambodia are heading up new works. Um, and, and their jobs will also, their goal will also be to work themselves out of a job and raise up locals. Um, in Greece, we have one, two, we have six, um, Americans. Uh, our, our team in, in Cambodia has been American, British, and New Zealand. But in Greece, they're all six Americans and we have three, um, staff who are refugees themselves. Um, one of our staff in Greece is 21 years old. His name is Sharif. And when he was a little boy, his father was really high up in the government. And uh, he was a powerful person in the, the government that opposed the Taliban. And he was um, assassinated when he was a young child. And then when Sharif was 15, his parents, I mean, his, his mom and his siblings, they were all still cared for by the government because his dad had been such an important guy. His mom and three siblings were walking toward uh, their vehicle to go somewhere, and Sharif was behind them, and, and they reached for the car, and a car, a car bomb had been planted in the car, and his entire family was killed right in front of his eyes when he was 15, the rest of his family. And so at 15, he just took off running, and he, he ran on foot and, and wound up on the shore of Turkey. And, in, and when he eventually got to Greece... Two years ago in the refugee camps there, he came to know Jesus. And so right now he is, um, he is up here loving Jesus with his whole heart, uh, winning people to the Lord. And then he'll have a, a hard moment and he is chewing somebody out on the street. So he is like fire and ice. He is back and forth. He loves Jesus with his whole heart, but has a lot of trauma that he still has to work through. Um, but we're super excited to be working with this growing young man. Sounds like Peter. Yeah, he's a mess. I, I, I cannot remember the missionary's name, but it was a book I read years ago. He talked about being a, helping to bring the gospel along with dentistry into the jungle of South America. And one of the things God imparted to him was not to try to do it all, but to what you're talking about, impart the skill set of dentistry and the gospel into the locals. And then he started equipping them to go out and he saw much greater advances of the kingdom through the locals than he did through himself ever because they knew how to speak not just the language, but they, it's more than just knowing the language, right? It's knowing the, you know, culture and knowing how to interact. So I love hearing stories like that, that training the, the local people because they, I'm telling you, they can be so much more impactful than we, we can. Obviously God will do what he wants and he'll use whatever he wants. Um, but I do believe that's always the best case scenario. So I, I enjoy hearing that kind of thing. And we've always joked that missionaries are the only business that try to get yourself out of a business, right? Um, if every soul was one, you didn't, you wouldn't need a missionary. So, um, so that's cool. Um, you, you mentioned a little bit of it, but I want to ask, is there anything else you would like to express to convey your heart for what Heart Places is doing or needs that you need met? Um, yeah, one, one thing I, I just want to be sure to say is that the, the Hard Places community is not, uh, referring to a location. Mm-hmm. The, the name the Hard Places communities does not mean the Hard Places overseas out there somewhere. 
Um, it's not talking about just Cambodia or Greece um, or Madagascar, which we have already done set up in Madagascar, and we had two trips planned for last year, and, and you guys know what happened there, so um, COVID. But um, we we still plan to plant in Madagascar. But the, the hard places refers to the hard places in people's hearts. Um, it can be your neighbor who's in the middle of a horrible divorce, and it can be, um, you know, a person who's just diagnosed with cancer. It can be someone who's who's feeling lonely um, and feeling alone. It can be uh, it can be anything, but we are referring to the hard places in people's hearts, and so the hard places are all around us, every one of us, no matter where where we are or what we're doing. So I just wanted to clarify sure. that. Yeah, thank you. you know, we we didn't start the Hard Places community to only be planted mm-hmm. overseas. We're just always saying, Holy Spirit, do you want to lead us to the left or to the right? Or where where is it that you're leading right now? And so it's not defined by any border. Is there um, anything we can do to help bolster your ministry? Yeah. Um, Show up? Bolster. That's an awesome word, bolster. <laughs> I like that. But um, bolster is like launching um, that... That word is, is actually the definition of what this church has been for me and has meant for me all these years. Um, because uh, Abundant Life Church is the, the church that um, gave me the springboard to launch out, that gave me permission to not only be the youth director, but to be missions youth director. They allowed me to have both titles because they, they, they knew I was going to, well, I was going to drag the kids all over the world, so <laughs> might as well make it official. Um, this this church has been a, a launching pad for me. It's been a uh, a, a place that, um, yeah, has meant so much to our ministry. And the Hard Places community was created um, not to go and save the world, not to go and and uh, just go into the nations. It was create, created as a launching pad to help people like like you and you and you get from point A to point B. So we we bring people onto our team and we ask them, you know, what are the dreams God has planted in your heart? And when and people are well well I've always wanted to go to Africa. I always wanted to be so and so, but I, I don't know how to get there or it's too scary or it's too it's too big. And then we help people get from point A to point B and serve the Lord wherever it is that he's calling them to serve. And so you guys here did that for me. And some of the people in this room are still my most faithful supporters. And so I just want to say thank you on, on behalf of myself and the Hard Places community. Because it's not about about what we're doing over here and you guys are doing over here. But when we come together like this, when we come together in unity, then um, there, there's nothing that the Lord can't do. And I wanted to share one one victory with you guys because this is your victory. If you're sitting in this room and you are a part of this church in any way, then you're a part of the victories. You're a part of the story, the stories that I tell. Um, Alan, you are such a part of the stories that I tell. All those years ago, serving in Africa, Roddy, so many stories. You guys have encouraged me, Aaron. all of you, um, I carry a piece of you guys wherever I go, and I laugh about the funny things you've done, and it cheers me up. But um, the thing is, you guys are, are, this is home and this is family to me for 20 years. Um, 
And so, uh, the story that I'm about to tell is a story that's happening right now. And this is a story you can go, you can leave after church and say, hey, you want to hear what I did today? Because this is what it is. And it's a story of 18 boys. Um, there are 18 boys that are between the ages of 11 and 15 who right now have been taken by a French pedophile. This French guy came over in the middle of the pandemic. He got there right before they locked everything down. And he bought a home in the slums and he began abusing children, um, boys and uh, 18 of them and he um we the, the we begin to notice we begin to find out that this that this was happening through knowing the boys and it took a long time uh, it's taken the last several months for them to get up the courage um because it's scary for them to they have to testify in front of this this grown men this panel of of scary looking policemen and in Cambodia the police are not your friend um most of the time, they just beat the street kids, harass the street kids, abuse the street kids, and all our kids are street kids. Yeah. And so these boys got up their guts, and they went and they, they told the police, two of the younger ones, they told the police exactly what this man had done for them. And today, as we sit here right now, he has been arrested. Um, he is in jail. The um, These 18 kids are beginning the process of restoration. And... Yeah. So you can say, you know, what what did you do today, Adam? Well, you helped bring 18 kids out of out of being um, sexually abused. You know, the the whole trajectory of their life is now on a different path um, because they're they're no longer being hurt. Um, they've been set free. So yeah, so thank you, Abundant Life Church, for for being part of that that story, part of that victory. Amen. I remember when Aaron and I were full-time living on support, uh, Sean and Kelly would hand us a check every once in a while randomly and say, you know, this is our teamwork. You know, we can't be out there. At that time, their kids, who were all grown and almost all married now, were little, and they couldn't go out. And they say, this is us going out in the mission field. And so she won't say this, but I will on her behalf. Aaron and I support her full-time. If this is something that you would want to be a part of, you can come talk to us. We can tell you what to do. You can talk to Hallie. She'd be more than happy to, to talk to you. But that is a way that you can truly be partners in this ministry. Um, obviously, prayer. I mean, prayer can, you know, that, that almost can go be without said, but I don't want to go without saying it. Um, I, I When I was out in, in full-time missions, I could feel the prayers. I could I knew when they were happening. Um, and she mentioned Madagascar. Don't let the cartoon fool you. That place is dark. Very tough, and so that that prayer for that, right? Yeah. The, the, as you go in there, because that's a very tough, intense, dark place. That yeah. uh, if there's, you know, everywhere needs the gospel, but if there's a place that man, man, can really use it, that's that's definitely it. Um, anything else you would like to say as we wrap up? Anything other? I mean, you you you've said a lot, you've conveyed a lot. We appreciate your heart. Okay. Well, thank you. Well. Let's end this in prayer, and then I'll turn it over to the big guy. Oh, one thing I did want to say, and he might correct me, and he can if he wants. He always has a mic class. Um, when we joined, not long after we joined this church, um, it started to struggle. I won't get into all the details, but it was not doing well at one point. And there's a few people that really were a big part of keeping this thing together. Brother Charles Simpson was a major, major player in that at, during that time. But she was, along with the youth group. This youth group during that time was such on fire. It was actually called Youth on Fire. And that youth group played a part in this church staying together and moving forward. And so the fact that we're still here is thanks to her and her leadership 
and the kids that she uh, impacted during that time. And so we are benefiting even today, like she said, from her influence and her uh, impact. And so I just I want I didn't want to go without sharing that as well. So, well, Lord Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you for your time. We thank you for your, uh, your heart and your direction. We thank you for Allie and her team and her ministry and what they're doing. And I just I just pray for blessings. I pray for uh, favor. I pray, I pray that uh, the team can can go where they need to go to say what they need to say and and to help who you've called to help. And so I just pray for protection and I pray for guidance and wisdom over Allie and the entire team. And I just thank you and I'll bless you. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, one other thing. <laughs> I'm, I, I, he gave me the mic, so. Uh, Dwayne mentioned this, I think last time we saw him was, some of the impact of your ministry was when they first would get there back in what, 06 you said, 07, when did y'all, or 08, when y'all went, started going to Cambodia. You could see transactions happening right there in the street, right? Just blazing, you know, out in the open, whereas today it's not quite, it's not to that degree. And that's impact. So it's not where we want it to be, but it's definitely going in the right direction, and this team's a big part of that. So congrats on that. Thank you.